0: We turn now to read responsively the question and answers of Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Speaking of baptism here, question 72 says, Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only Jesus Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins, just as water removes dirt from the body. But more importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Should infants also be baptized? Yes, Yes. infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people, and they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for his help. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, unable of ourselves to do any good. But we do repent of our sins and seek your grace to help us in our remaining weaknesses. Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth. That we, with all our hearts, may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant. Baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant. We have seen that in Scripture already in previous weeks, and hopefully that's not very controversial. But tonight, we have come now to the topic of infant baptism, which is instantly controversial. And so there is just one goal for this message. One goal kind of in a couple of different directions. And that goal is to strengthen your conviction that the children of believers... The children who are in this very church and in all the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ belong to God's gracious covenant people and therefore should be baptized. Or else this message is to convince you of that or to help you if you feel yourself wavering in the assurance that comes with such a belief. So let's move right into it. Let's move right into it. First, we ask the question: what is the covenant? What is the covenant? And we ask that because not only does the Bible speak of covenants a lot, but also, question and answer 74 of our catechism mentions God's covenant as the ground for baptizing not just believers but their children. So that is the thing that we're testing now: what is this covenant? It is referring to the general covenant that runs through the whole Bible. That's what the Catechism has in mind when it speaks of God's covenant and people. An overarching covenant that runs through the whole storyline of the Scriptures. In Reformed theology, we have tended to call this overarching covenant the covenant of grace. That title is not in the Bible. That's just the label theologically that we have decided to use. So you could take it or leave it, but that's what we're talking about. It is the covenant of grace, and I think it's a pretty good title, considering that that covenant is marked by the grace of God. And I want to make a very simple argument about this covenant from Scripture. I want to show you that we belong to the same covenant As Abraham. We belong to the same covenant as Abraham. And that this conviction, if true, has certain inescapable consequences for the children of believers. The first thing to note is that to make this argument, I'm starting with the New Testament to demonstrate how it speaks about the covenant that God made with Abraham. So I'm not bringing to you my, my uh, opinion, I'm not bringing to you my, uh, my imagination, I'm bringing to you the inspired testimony as the inspired Apostle Paul looks back on the covenant that God made with Abraham. And our final reading uh, from Scripture before we open the Catechism was there in Galatians. If you're still there, look with me at Galatians 3 verses 5 through 9, which I'm going to read again. Galatians 3, verses 5 through 9. Paul says, Does he who su- supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture... For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith." Now, in these few verses here, Paul quotes two passages from Genesis. He quotes two passages from Genesis. If your Bible has footnotes, it probably tells you what passages they are. One is from Genesis 15, and one is from Genesis 12. So look with me there in Galatians 3, verse 6. This is Paul quoting from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We looked at this a few weeks ago in the catechism when we were looking at the doctrine of justification. The New Testament says if you want to know what it looks like to have your sins forgiven, you've got to look to Abraham. He's the pattern. He is the pattern. And so here we find it again. He's the man of faith. Abraham believed God. There's that true faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified by faith. So Paul is quoting Genesis 15. Now look at the end of verse 8. Galatians 3, verse 8. Paul here now quotes from Genesis 12. So he's not going in order. He's got got other things in mind. He doesn't care about the order that he's quoting from. But here he's quoting not far away from the passage he just quoted, but in Genesis 12. In you, meaning in Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. So Paul is dealing with a section of Genesis... That includes chapters 12 and 15. And these are major milestones in the biblical story. Major milestones. Because in Genesis 12, God focuses his electing grace on a single man, Abraham. And we have to recognize that so far, this is Genesis 12, okay? Genesis 1 through 11 has covered All of history, creation, the flood, and all the nations and peoples who have come as a consequence from these acts of God. And now here, suddenly, God zooms in his focus on one man, and that man's family takes up the rest of the book of Genesis. It's a key moment. God calls Abram to leave his home, and he makes to him in Genesis 12 a series of promises. Then... In Genesis 15, God confirms these promises with a formal covenant ceremony. It is in that passage, which again we've seen in this catechism series, that Abraham is having doubts about the promises that God makes. So God puts Abram to sleep and makes a gracious covenant with him. Now, let's pause for just a moment. There is a lot of good stuff in those passages, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. We could spend all day on those, but we only need to see one thing. The passages in Genesis that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in Galatians 3 are concerning the covenant that God made with Abraham, sometimes called the Abrahamic Covenant. So that's what we're talking about. It's the passage, the section of Scripture in Genesis that is in mind when theologians talk about the Abrahamic Covenant. Now then, look what Paul has to say about the promises of this Abrahamic Covenant. Verse 8. Galatians 3, verse 8. Paul says, in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and here's Genesis 12 in you shall all the nations be blessed. God made promises to Abraham, the patriarch. What does Paul call these promises? He calls them the gospel beforehand. They are a proclamation of the gracious promises of God before the Son of God took on flesh and accomplished this promise in history. It's the gospel beforehand. What Abram received from God was good news. The world had been wrecked by sin, but God tells Abraham here that the nations of this wrecked world are going to be redeemed. They're going to receive divine blessing. Times of refreshment are going to come. And as we sing about in the song of Zechariah, the Messiah is coming and Zechariah says, that this is what God had in mind. This is how the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It's through this guy, the Son of God, the Christ, the seed of Abraham. So it is good news that God preached to Abraham ahead of time. It is the gospel promised in a shadowy form, pointing upward to the Son of God who lives forever, and pointing forward to the day when He would finally arrive in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, here's the point that we're making here. The covenant that God made with Abraham was a gospel covenant. That's what is... We talk about the covenant. A covenant is nothing if not made up of promises. And the promise of this Abrahamic covenant is called gospel its core promises are no different to Abraham than they are to those who belong to the new covenant let me just say this again the promises are the same in substance to both Abraham and to us in the new covenant because what is proclaimed in both is the gospel it's as plain as day in Paul Paul gives us no other choice than to look back and say, this is what has been offered to the patriarch, Abram. And this is why Paul says in verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why along with Abraham? Because we belong to the same covenant of grace. The same covenant of grace anchored to the same promises pointing to the same Savior, either beforehand or a little later. That's the covenant that we're talking about, which we commonly call the covenant of grace. Secondly, we ask another question. When it comes to this covenant that we have just looked at, are children of believers included in it? are children of believers included in it? So we've seen now just one passage that clearly links us with Abraham and calls that covenant a gospel covenant. Do children belong to that covenant? That's the question. To get the answer, we have to see the actual promises that God made in that covenant. All right, we've seen Genesis 12. We've seen Genesis 15. Now, in Genesis 17 as this gospel covenant is gaining steam, as God is adding to it, giving more clarity to it, the way that a seed is the same in the ground as when it comes out later in the form of a tree. It's you know, the same thing, just growing into its maturity. So we see the promises coming into more maturity. And so God clarifies in Genesis 17 even more about the promises. And He gives the covenant a sign of, To symbolize the promises. Listen to the promise of this covenant that we have already established and proven in Galatians is a covenant that we belong to. Here's the promise Genesis 17, verse 7. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. Loved ones in Christ, this covenant that God made with Abraham included believers like Abraham himself and their children. They are included in the promise that makes up the covenant. And this is that covenant that preached the gospel beforehand. Of course, the covenant has now taken a new outward form for us. It's taken several forms in the history of God's people. And it has taken a new form now that the gospel has been proclaimed after the fact. It had one form when it was preached beforehand. And now it has another form now that it's been preached after the fact. Now that Christ has come in the flesh and died for our sins and formally cut this covenant. Made the covenant. The outward form of the covenant is different, but the promises and the patterns are the same. And if that covenant included believers and their children in the days of Abraham, it must include believers and their children in our day as well, unless God says otherwise. The great Reformed theologian B.B. B. Warfield famously said, God established His church in the days of Abraham and put children into it. They must remain there until He puts them out. He has nowhere put them out. They are still then members of His church and are as such entitled to the church's ordinances. Close quote. Children are included in this covenant. And therefore they are included among the people of God whether they are in that covenant in the days of Abraham or in this new covenant era, because the promises and the patterns remain the same. So children are included. The last question we're asking tonight, what is the sign of that covenant? We know now a little bit about what the covenant is. We know that children are included in it. Now we ask, what is the sign of it? Ancient covenants had signs and symbols attached to them. And as we said before, and we'll say I'm sure many times in the future, even the marriage covenant ceremony still in our day has signs and symbols added to it, like the wedding ring and the kiss and and other things like that. But ancient covenants, without fail, had something that was attached to it to symbolize the promises that were made. In the covenant with Abraham, God added the sign of circumcision. That's in Genesis 17. Some say, when they think about circumcision, some say that this was only a national symbol. And so to be circumcised meant that you had become an Israelite. It was an ethnic and national identity marker. And of course that's true to a point. That's, uh, that's undeniably true. <clears throat> but it ignores two very important points that have to be established before we talk about it as a a marker of national identity. The first point that that, uh, that that approach ignores is that God gave circumcision to Abraham before the nation existed. Circumcision was given to Abraham the patriarch before Israel existed. God constituted the nation of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt and circumcision had already long been in effect as the sign of the covenant prior to this a second thing is that circumcision was always always a spiritual symbol so we we grant that it had an element of national identity to it for israelites that's granted But that is secondary to the primary purpose of this, which is to mark the sign of a gracious gospel covenant, and therefore it is a spiritual symbol. What did it signify? It signified the cutting away of a sinful heart. By cutting away a part of the flesh, the covenant people were to be spared from a full cutting off through death. So that you and your seed would continue on and God's gracious promises would continue on from generation to generation. So this partial cutting off of the flesh was a warning. And when received by faith, it was a sign and uh, a participation in righteousness, as Paul says in Romans chapter four. Many passages prove this for us. Here is just one. and We've already read it. Deuteronomy 30, verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and that you may live. The outward circumcision always pointed to the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the sinful flesh, the cutting away of Adam, the old self, in order that the new self might be made alive through the coming offspring, Jesus Christ. And you'll notice here that this also is a, it's a promise of the covenant of grace. The law says you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here God says you can't because you've got this foreskin on your hearts, so I'm going to cut it away, and then you will be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God himself will accomplish this. And what we recognize in this wonderful little verse of Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 is that God made this promise to believers and their children. I will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, he says. God gave this spiritual sign to his covenant that signified the cutting away of the sinful heart And graciously made those promises to believers and their offspring after them. Now then, that was the sign of the covenant with Abraham. The promises remain the same as we've already established. The promises remain the same in our day. But the sign has changed because Christ has come. So as we close tonight, if you can flip there with me. We look at Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. The promises of the covenant of grace are the same. But the administration of that covenant, the outward working of that covenant changes. Depending on the era that we find ourselves in. If the sign was circumcision in the days of Abraham, we must ask the question, what is that sign in the days of the new covenant? And Paul makes the connection for us. Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13. Paul says, In him, meaning Christ, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. There's that Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, circumcision of the heart. You've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He continues, By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him In baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Brothers and sisters, the promise is this. Here's the promise of the covenant of grace. I will be God to you and to your children. Does that mean that every person who is a part of this outward covenant will certainly believe? No. That is based on the election of God. God chooses who will receive his word of promise with faith. God chooses. But the promise that this covenant is built upon and the people that this covenant creates proclaims to all within it this promise. I will be God to you and to your children. In Abraham's day, this promise was signified by the bloody sign of circumcision. But now Christ has come. He has been bloodied for us. He has been cut off fully for us. In our place. To relieve us of this sinful flesh in our hearts. And in the place of this sign. That was bloody and painful. And in many ways terrifying. We have now a symbol of cleansing. The sign of baptism. The sign of the gracious promise. The sign for all those who will believe and for their children. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily prove by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children, and so putting to shame the wise and the understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives, and so give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given us, and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear, until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, who with the Father and the Spirit is one God, forever blessed. Amen.